Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Health Trip Podcast. So Here Loss and I have been um, around the block a few times together. And if you've been part of my community for a while, then you know all about my hair loss journey. If you're new, welcome. And I invite you to go back and locate my many hair loss podcasts, some featuring hair loss experts in the field and some featuring my personal journey. Today's podcast is a special one. I have invited on one of my favorite doctors to talk about micronutrient deficiencies and how they relate to hair loss. You all have heard about macronutrients, your fat, your protein, your carbohydrates. Micronutrients are the nutrients our body needs in lesser amounts to grow and develop. And these include our vitamins and minerals. And our body can't synthesize these, so we can only obtain them through diet and supplementation. There are water-soluble and fat-soluble vitamins and macro-minerals and trace minerals. One of the best ways to look inside your cell or intracellularly to see what your status is, is by taking a micronutrient test. And this is a blood test that I include in my health coach coach packages and personally take one time a year. So when you go to your conventional medical doctor and they pull your blood, and maybe they're going to look at vitamin D or magnesium or um, vitamin B, they're looking at the serum levels, what's in your bloodstream. But we also want to look at what is inside your cell and that's called intracellularly. So about seven years ago, I took my first micronutrient test to help me personalize my supplement protocol to help support my own hair growth. I was blown away, even though I was eating a nutrient dense diet, living a healthy lifestyle, doing all the things, I was functionally deficient in 15 micronutrients. So this test will tell you if your cells are stable in that micronutrient, borderline deficient or functionally deficient. And you want to correct these intracellular micronutrient deficiencies so that your cells can operate at an optimal level. So if you go back to biology class and you think about the mitochondria, the mitochondria are in all of our, in most of all of our cells. And their job is to, is to take the nutrients and convert them into ATP. ATP is our energy currency that our body needs to use to do all the things, including growing hair. And your body's really smart. If you don't produce enough energy, well, you don't need hair to survive. So it's going to say, you know what? I'm not really gonna focus my attention over there. I have much more uh, important things to focus on. So you really wanna optimize your mitochondria function. So my returning guest today is Dr. Grabowski. He's a practicing doctor of chiropractic. He has over 40 years of clinical nutrition experience, has presented over 1,500 seminars and lectures on nutrition throughout the U.S. and Europe, publishing several articles and a textbook on clinical nutrition. In addition, he's a registered dietitian, and his dietetic experience includes tenure at some of the leading hospitals in the nation, the New York Hospital Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City, Memorial Care System and the University of Texas um, 
in Houston. Dr. Grabowski has served on the state of Texas Governor's Childhood Obesity Task Force and is a member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the American Chiropractic Association, the Texas Chiropractic Association and Endocrine Society, and in addition to his chiropractic practice, he has developed numerous vitamin and mineral formulas for supplement companies. A little medical disclaimer before we jump in with Dr. Grabowski. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. And this entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your mind, and let's dive in. Hi, Dr. Grabowski. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast again. Thanks, Jill. Glad to be here. Yeah, me too. This is a topic that is all the buzz right now, hair loss. And my goodness, how many times have I talked to you about my own hair loss journey? A lot. Right. Yeah, you know, it is very common in my office as well. Everybody's looking for kind of the magic bullet. But I think you'll see today that there's not one magic bullet. There's several things that we have to consider when we're looking at hair loss. Absolutely. And there are some really amazing expensive modalities out there to use. But I think before people jump on that train, they've got to fix other issues and look at their lifestyle intervention. And one of those things that you and I work on with clients is correcting these micronutrient deficiencies that all of us have, right? No one's micronutrient deficiency is perfect. Our status is perfect. No, absolutely not. And of course, there's a few common ones that everybody jumps on that we'll talk about today that I think we definitely need to discuss and see the correlation of other systems of the body and how other systems really affect our hair. It's not just our scalp that's important, but other systems that are really important. So why do you think, like this testing, this this micronutrient test that you and I both use on our clients is so obvious to us that is part of that health equation. But why do you think it's just not widely accepted in the conventional healthcare model to look at this? Well, I think it goes back to training. You know, most of the individuals out there, the medical doctor or medical community, they're not trained on this type of technology. They're primarily trained on the basic technology. They use the larger labs like LabCorp and Quest and things like that. And when they come out of school, that's what they're taught. And I think a lot of them feel uncomfortable going outside their so-called comfort zone. And so as a result, that's what happens. And so I really think it's important that people continue to expand. And like I always tell, you know, dietitians and health coaches and doctors and so on, you have to keep up with the times, you know, that's why we have continued education. That's why we need to read. That's why we need to do like podcasts and things like that. Absolutely. So before we dig into hair loss and micronutrient deficiencies, I want to help my listeners really understand what it is that we're talking about and the role that these micronutrients play in our body and why we may not be able to obtain all of them through just our uh, a healthy diet alone. So what are your... Um, what are your core thoughts on that? And then we'll dive into some of these more specialized topics. Well, you know, a lot of the food today, of course, comes from very bad soil. And a lot of the RDAs that we see on foods and the contents of certain foods on labels and things like that are really based on 
you know, literature that was back in 1989, the database analysis. And so we're really going off of things of 1989. And of course, here we are in 2023. So, you know, a carrot, you know, 1989 contained different nutrients than a carrot today and so on. Mm. And that's what I think is so misleading. So people say, well, I get 100% of the RDA. Well, as you know, as well as I, that it's not that easy that not only do we look at the RDA, but we also have to look at are they, you know, taking medications? Are they exercising heavily? Are they, you know, taking hormones? What's going on with them? And there's a lot of nutrient drug interactions, nutrient nutrient interactions, and so on. And you just can't do that. And, you know, as far as just look at, oh, I'm getting 100% or I eat healthy. You and I hear this all the time in our yeah. practices. Oh, I eat healthier than 90% of the public out there. Well, <laughs> it still isn't good enough for your demands on a daily basis. Yeah, which is such a shame because food is so expensive right now. And we're all trying to be more mindful of how we shop and what we're purchasing and staying with organic. But let's talk about some of these ways in which our body inhibits our ability to absorb all of these nutrients. And you mentioned one of them, which is medications, just basic medications. Some people are taking over-the-counter medications like PPIs, or they're taking, you know, um, you know, ibuprofen. And then let's talk about the pharmaceuticals, the, the scripts. Yep, absolutely. Like, for example, stat medications, you know, they're highly prescribed out there. A lot of people today are put on stat medications, even if they have a very slightly elevated cholesterol. And what's sad is we can change their cholesterol through, as you know, good diet, supplementation, exercise, things like that. And we'll talk about one of the nutrients that's affected today with the stat medication and also affects your hair. And something maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with as far as the connection. So if you look at it on how many people are on stat medications out there, and then they start to get this hair loss and get these other side effects, and they don't really correlate with that because a lot of times your medical doctors don't discuss that with them. And I'm not sure right. if it's because they're afraid if they discuss it with them, they won't take the medication medication, or they just don't have time, or, or they don't make the time or whatever the case is. Right. And then what about genetics? You know, that's one of one of the other tests I include in my health coach pack is our genetics. And for myself, where I started this journey, just looking at my genetics and seeing the connection that role played in my hair loss journey was incredible. And how you showed me that pivoting my health, my, my diet, my healthy lifestyle and adding in personalized supplements to support those genetic SNPs or those single nucleotide polymorphisms. So we'll, let's just call them mutations for ease. How important that was to my hair loss journey. Oh, absolutely. And we all have in these SNPs and it depends upon which one we have. And once again, a lot of people um, are taking supplementations and sometimes they're taking a good quality supplement, but it's not enough because of their SNPs. And that's another thing that we look at. In fact, I was just talking to one of my patients yesterday evening about that. And he, he exercises quite a bit and he takes some very good supplements. And But once again, we did the genetics on him and he wasn't taking the the quantity and also the quality in certain areas and he said oh dr roski this is a lot more involved than i realized i thought it was just a simple go to the grocery store pick up a supplement and go on and i said yeah i said we wish right right and you bring up a really good point and the quality of supplements and you know running to costco or gnc or buying these generic ones off the shelf are probably not doing us any good you know we have to 
pick out, it's just like going to the grocery and buying something that's organic and something that's grown with pesticides. You know, if you're going to spend the money, put the money where you're going to get the quality so you can get the result. Oh, absolutely. I tell patients that all the time. You know, it's like if you're going to eat healthy and you're going to go and eat fresh fruit and fresh vegetables and like you said, organic, then why don't you take the best quality supplement out there? It doesn't make sense yeah. to take a cheap supplement and eat healthy. You know? Right, right. What about um, stress? A lot of people right now are feeling a lot of stress in their life. And I find that to be one of the one of the top confounding factors on hair loss. Absolutely. And there's a lot of evidence of that in the scientific literature that when we are under stress, that we do increase our cortisol levels. We actually um, convert cortisone to cortisol. And we definitely know that that's connected to hair loss. And it's also connected from a micronutrient standpoint. For example, if a person is zinc deficient, you know, people hear about biotin, for example, which we'll talk a little bit about. But as far as zinc, uh, if people are low in zinc, that they really can't shut off this axis, which we know is called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, and that's part of the stress axis. And so if we can't do that, we start producing more and more cortisol, we're going to have hair loss. So people say, well, everybody has stress, but what do I do about it? How do I handle it? And so, for example, they can go and exercise to try to decrease their stress, but if that stress is also facilitated or accentuated by a zinc deficiency, you're not, that exercise isn't going to correct that zinc deficiency. And like you said, that's why we have to find out, are they low on zinc, for example? Yeah. And one of the things you've taught me over the years is that people that are really active, like myself, that we exercise a lot, do a lot of weight and resistant training, we're utilizing a lot more of the micronutrients than someone who wasn't very active. And so we have to replenish that and also give us ourselves a backup. Oh, absolutely. It's like I tell my patients all the time, if you run your car at 100 miles an hour, you have to feed it like 100 miles an hour. You can't feed it like 50 miles an hour. So you know, you're you going fast, 100 miles an hour, you need more gas, more oil, more transmission fluid and so on. The same thing is true with the body. You need more nutrients and certain nutrients to maintain that level. And so I think sometimes, you know, I was the same way, very young in my career where I exercised all the time. I continue to exercise, but not at the intensity like I did in college then. But you know, you think, okay, you exercise and it's decreasing your stress for college and this and that, but that's another stress on that's a physical stress. Right, right. Okay, so we've established that we can obtain these micronutrients through diet and personalized supplementation, but I want to know how do they work? So we're taking our supplements and we're eating our healthy food. We're getting in these micronutrients. They're in our mouth, making their way down to our our stomach, and then what is supposed to happen? What's the optimal pathway of these micronutrients? Okay, so of course, the main thing is we have to have a healthy GI tract. So if we don't have a healthy GI tract, and let's start with, of course, the microbiome or the bacteria that we talk about. You know, people are saying, take a probiotic or prebiotic and things like that. That is essential. There's a lot of research out there today that if people have inadequate or poor quality probiotics or microbiome, that they are going to have skin conditions, they are going to have hair loss, they're going to have you know, other organs that are affected. 
So we have to maintain that. And once again, we have to make sure that it's, and it's different for all of us. And, and the thing is that we can change that once again. So that's one of the first things. And so, and based on our eating habits, you know, whether we're taking in prebiotics or not, are we feeding the good bacteria or not? Going back to stress, we know that psychological and physical stress changes our microbiome. So once again, here's another case. And then, of course, we have to have that nice mucus layer, which we know is mucin, and that's maintained by bacteria. It's also maintained by certain nutrients that we take in. And then we have these cells in the GI tract that, of course, one layer, it's different than the skin, of course, and these cells slough off every three to seven days. And if those cells aren't replicated on a regular basis, then we have gaps. And of course, everybody or a lot of us listeners today hear about leaky gut syndrome. So then that causes increased demand. And then that starts a whole inflammation. But if all that is intact, we have good microbiome, we have the good mucin layer, we have the good cells, then of course, those nutrients are passed through those cells. They're recognized. They're broken down, of course, up top with the acid, like you mentioned, in the stomach and the enzymes. And as we break all that food down and we try to absorb those, but it, it's, it's a very complex system. Yeah. And we have to keep all of those parts of the system intact. And then... If we don't, then there's other things that occur. Yeah, it's very overwhelming to learn about gut health, right? There are so oh, yeah. many components to gut health. And I always tell my clients that I work with on hair loss, let's get the foundation built and healthy and strong. Because then if you do decide to go do some of these more expensive modalities, which I've chosen to do as well, I can promise you that those modalities are going to work so much better for you when you have the healthy foundation on which to grow. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like I tell people all the time, you can have the best baker in the world, but if you don't have the great right ingredients, you don't make right. the cake. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, so you definitely need the ingredients. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some of these core nutrients, micronutrients that are correlated with um, with hair loss. So the human scalp has 100,000 hair follicles. <laughs> and I, I want to say to everyone out there that if your hair is is profusely shedding, we're supposed to shed about 80 to 100 hairs a day. And when you're someone who is experiencing hair loss, you are really dialed in to that number. Um, and sometimes a handful of hair actually really isn't 80 to 100 hairs, and sometimes it's more. So I always say don't be obsessive and count, but I do think counting once in a while is important so that you can gauge where you are on this spectrum. So I want to say that about hair follicles. So, so these hair follicles rely on proteins, vitamins, and minerals to produce the healthy hair. And as we have already talked about, these micronutrients play a crucial role in this cellular turnover. And um, some of the top micronutrients associated with hair loss, let's just start with vitamin A. And this is a big one. And I just took my youngest son who has my genes. So he's got some hair loss going on at a very young age. And of course we support him through lifestyle and personalized supplementation. He's been having a lot of scalp health issues. And I actually didn't realize that vitamin A is very much connected to scalp health, but, but you take it away with vitamin A. Cause I know. Yeah, absolutely. Vitamin A, you know, and when we talk about vitamin A, it's different than beta carotene. Of course, beta carotene is part of vitamin A as far as when we look at that, but we're really talking in this case about vitamin A. Vitamin A is responsible it's essential for epithelial cell growth. And there's several types of epithelial cells in our body. It's the scalp, our GI tract, our lungs, and so on. And so if we are low in vitamin A, we don't produce those cells properly. And if those cells aren't properly produced, then of course they don't 
more or less maintain the foundation for the follicle. And a lot of people think, well, I eat a lot of vegetables, I eat a lot of fruit, and I'm getting that particular vitamin into my system. Well, there's certain conditions out there, for example, like thyroid uh, disease or diabetes. The insulin and thyroid hormones actually convert the carotenoids into vitamin A. So that's one of the reasons why we kind of see hair loss also with thyroid or diabetes is because we're not able to convert that that carotenoids into the vitamin A to maintain the epithelial tissue. There's another thing, another connection is zinc. Zinc also transports the vitamin A around the body. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a second as well. So if we are having, if we have vitamin A, but we don't have adequate zinc, now we don't make a protein in the body called retinal binding protein that actually transports that vitamin A around the system. On the other hand, too much vitamin A can actually Mm -hmm. cause hair loss. So if someone is taking too much thyroid medication and converting the carotenoids too rapidly to vitamin A, and they're also taking a vitamin A supplement, then they could be getting too much and it could actually dry out your scalp and dry out your skin. You've seen that. I mean, there's yep. an analog, there's a thing called retin or Accutane that people use for yep. acne that is actually a twisted structure, more or less kind of a vitamin A that we use. And the same thing can happen. If I take too much vitamin A, I can dry out the lips, I can dry out the eyes, I can dry out the skin and hair loss can occur as well. And that's why people need to go to professionals like you and I to sit there and say, am I getting too much? Am I getting too little? What are we doing about this? And let's balance it out. But there's other connections as well. What about vitamin A in found in animal foods? Do you find that that is a better form of vitamin A? Um, the, actually, yeah, the actual vitamin A that we look at more like that is in animal sources, absolutely, of course. And then, you know, like I said, it's the carotenoids in the vegetables and the fruit that are actually getting converted to the vitamin A that we're looking at in that aspect. But, you know, the, probably the most common one that all of us have heard about for years is cod liver oil. Cod liver mm-hmm. oil, you know, has vitamin A, has vitamin D, and so it has that. And, and a lot of people used to do that. People used to consume that, but they also yeah. used to rub that in their scalp. And people say, oh, when I used to rub that in my scalp, my my hair it was so much better. I didn't have dandruff. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer of taking things inside and working inside out. Yeah. But once again, some people will do some things topically. But you know, if you look at a lot of your shampoos, your conditioners, your lotions today, they have vitamin A and they have their biotin in them and so on. Yeah. So um, let's move on to the B vitamins. So these are water soluble vitamins. And there's one of those called biotin, which is the only one our body can make. And biotin is a big buzzword in the hair loss community. And a lot of the hair vitamins on the market, um, ones like Nutrafol and other ones have biotin, not necessarily in the dose that might be required, but for some people, biotin doesn't even work, right? Based on their genetics. Right. Based on their genetics. Also, if you really go into the deep scientific literature, there's not a lot of supportive literature for biotin. Really, there isn't, even though it's like you said, it's a buzzword everybody hears. If you go to any dermatologist and say, Oh, I have dry skin, I have hair loss, boom, they're going to prescribe biotin or going to tell you to find them. Biotin works in several ways. Like you said, it is produced in the body. Our microbiome can produce it. So if we have healthy bacteria uh, in our GI tract, we can make biotin. Biotin is very important for the cell membrane integrity. So like I said, every cell, whether it's a red blood cell, white blood cell, the skin cells and so on, it keeps your scalp nice and soft and things like that. So once again, it keeps your GI tract healthy, 
it's produced in the GI tract. We can consume it through supplementation. But yeah, if people uh, have a genetic defect or SNP, like you said, mm-hmm. they can take biotin, but one, they may not be taking enough or they may not be producing enough. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if they're topically just adding it to the top of their skin or the scalp, it's not going to really be beneficial. And, and, yeah, go ahead. and if people are taking, if people have thyroid problems and they're taking biotin, and they go test themselves for thyroid, they have to be careful because they have to discontinue their biotin intake. I tell people 72 hours, a lot of people say 48 hours, but stop biotin consumption prior to the testing because it will throw off the thyroid testing. Yeah, absolutely. And biotin, your B vitamins are found in animal products. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are found in animal products, absolutely. Yeah, and I bring this up because as you know, when I, I'm also one of your clients, um, for my personal journey, I've been on the carnivore diet before. I'm not anymore. I'm animal-based now, but when I was on the carnivore diet, it really worked so well for me because of all these bioavailable nutrients I was getting in the early stages of my hair loss journey. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the animal products, and give you an example, like one of the things you mentioned at the very early part of this podcast was the replication of cells, you know, in order to maintain your cells and of course your hair and your skin and so on. Well, B12 and yeah. folate are two major nutrients that are involved with DNA and RNA, of course, which are involved in replication of cells. So this is once again, when people are protein malnourished, not only are they losing the protein to maintain or make a hair follicle and their skin, but they're also missing out on like B12. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, the PPIs and when people take those medications for reflux and things like that, one of the main nutrients that's uh, affected with PPIs is B12. Yeah. And here we go back to genetics, right? I'm homozygous for the MTHFR genetic SNP and as well as all of my children. And almost every one of my clients is also dealing with heterozygous or homozygous uh, MTHFR. And that has a lot to do with vitamin B conversion and transport in the body. Absolutely. And that's, once again, going back to supplementation, going to, you know, the quality of supplements is using a methylated form or one of those, you know, with the B12, we talk about hydroxycobalamin or methylcobalamin or adenosylcobalamin, where most of your supplements out there over the counter are you know, cyanocobalamin, which are not even the active form. And so the body needs those genetics to make sure they convert. And once again, if they have that abnormality, they don't make that conversion efficiently. Also, what is the difference between folate and folic acid? I remember when I was pregnant um, many moons ago, my doctor wanted to give me a um, a multivitamin that had folic acid, and it made me so sick. I stopped immediately after, you know, during my first of five pregnancies. So folic acid, how I more or less explain in simple terms to my patients is it's like crude oil. And that crude oil has to get converted to gasoline if we want to use it. You know, gasoline in our car. Well, that MTHFR enzyme is one of those roles of converting folic acid to folate. So it methyl, it causes a methylation process to occur. So it's a really inadequate form, or we don't use that form efficiently, like we do folate. And so that's the main thing. And once again, most of your over-the-counter supplements are folic acid versus folate. Yeah. Let's move on to vitamin D. And this is a really interesting vitamin because we really look at it as a hormone. Right. Not even a vitamin. 
Right. It is actually, if you go into the literature, it is actually considered a hormone. Uh, in fact, I remember when I was doing my di uh, my dietetic testing, that that's one of the questions on my dietetic test was which nutrient is considered a hormone. And so we've known that for years, but it has numerous, of course, roles in the, um, in the body. In fact, some say over 900 enzymes are associated with vitamin D. And so when you look at that, if that's true, all the possible SNPs or abnormalities we can have. Depending, once again, who you read, they say that 90% of the world population has an insufficient, not a deficiency, but an insufficient amount of vitamin D, which means it's not quite the totally deficient role, but it's right between 20 and 30 if you look at the serum levels. And that's a you know, large percentage of our population. And once again, people aren't getting their diet. And it does have a role. It has a strong role with hair loss. And a lot of people don't even know that in regards to the hormone regulation and the integrity of cell and inflammation. Vitamin D is very important for inflammation. That's something else that is happening today that when people are having hair loss, they have a systemic inflammatory response going on. And it's one of the you know, nutrients that actually helps with inflammation. So a lot of people say, well, I walk in the morning and I get my sunlight. Is that enough? No, they've even shown that people that expose their skin, you know, for 20, 30 minutes, that it's not enough to satisfy. Now, once again, we used, to, we used to say that, of course, 40, or not 40, excuse me, 400 international units of vitamin D was adequate. We know now that that's not even close to being adequate, especially if people are active in their life, people have other conditions going on. So, you know, we're pushing three, four, 5,000 international units yeah. today and shown to be very, very uh, supportive and beneficial to us. And I remember when I was in my training that one of my professors said, don't, you know, don't ever give more than 400 international units because it can cause this. But that was way back in the late 70s, early yeah. 80s. And now we, you know, with research, we found that it's not the case. Yeah, we also know for women going through menopause, which is my age group, that there's a huge correlation with hair loss and hair thinning, chronic hair shedding, right? It just that's when a lot of women start to notice the receding hairlines and the wider part down the middle. And they're all, a lot of the women I see are all super low in vitamin D. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, you know, I hate to keep going back to the microbiome, but they have found that if you have an inadequate vitamin D, you do not maintain a normal microbiome. So you're bacteria in your GI tract is now disrupted. So it's not just, oh, I take a probiotic. Well, yeah, you can take a probiotic, but what else, what's your vitamin D status? Is it maintaining that particular microbiome? And going back to the, med you know, the medications, a lot of people don't know this, but statins actually interfere with vitamin D as well as a common thing that people talk about is CoQ10. So a lot of people don't realize Lies that vitamin D is affected, vitamin K is affected, you know, CoQ10, and another nutrient, selenium. I'm sure we'll talk about selenium. Yeah. So if you have someone that you know is on a statin and they're experiencing hair thinning, do you know to already test for these micronutrient, that micronutrient status, but also you know they're going to need the support of maybe a handful of supplements while they're taking that statin? Oh, absolutely. And for several reasons, you know, what's kind of ironic about it is if you uh, take a statin and you become vitamin K2 deficient because of mm -hmm. that statin, 
you actually increase your clacking of your arteries. You actually mm. increase the hardening of your arteries. So it's kind of a catch-22 here. You're trying to lower cholesterol and try to avoid, you know, atherosclerosis and arteriosclerosis and hypertension. And actually that drug can push you into those two conditions. Wow, that's crazy. Because so many people are on statins. Oh, yeah. So another interesting thing about vitamin D that I've discovered in working alongside you is that when people go get their blood work done and they get vitamin D, the vitamin D they're looking at is in the serum. And then sometimes we look at the intracellular vitamin D status and it's inefficient. Right. So if, so if there's enough in the serum, why is it not getting into the cell? Well, there's several reasons. One could be genetics. We have called vitamin D receptors. So it could be a vitamin D receptor SNP that a person's looking at. It can be uh, the integrity of the cell membrane. Uh, the cell membrane, of course, contains omegas, uh, like omega-3, 6, and 9. It also contains phospholipids. And there's several nutrients that maintain those phospholipids. And it goes back to kind of biotin. This is kind of how it's all connected. The biotin helps maintain your phospholipids. It's one of the nutrients that does it. So it makes that cell membrane nice and healthy. So if that's inadequate, once again, then you have a SNP for maybe a vitamin D receptor is it doesn't get in there. And that's why we often see people that have vitamin D deficiencies intracellularly, even though they're taking vitamin D, we look at omega-3s, we look at omega-9s, we look at biotin, we look at these other nutrients that have a big impact on the cell membrane. And what about the reverse? If intracellularly, the vitamin D level is optimal, but the serum level looks really low. Why would that be? Well, we think it can be happening in that case is the body's demanding more of the uh, vitamin D per se is when they take it initially and it's being used in that aspect. Or in other cases, we have found that sometimes because vitamin D is so important for the immune system, mm-hmm. that vitamin D, the, as you know, then one of the cells that we use or we look at is the lymphocyte. And the lymphocyte is highly supported by vitamin D. So we wonder sometimes if the body's holding on to that nutrient in the lymphocyte to maintain a proper immune system, and it's not going to dump it off into the serum because it's so essential for the immune system. Hmm, that's really interesting. I'm always just blown away by looking at the comparisons between serum levels for my clients and then their intracellular levels and how they really sometimes don't make any sense to me. Of course, they do to you because you're the expert here. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's the way I was trained. I was trained on serum, yeah. you know, 47 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and that's what was very frustrating to me when I worked in a hospital as a dietitian for years. I would see all these normal serum levels and I saw sick people, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and diabetes and heart disease. I'm like, okay, how can all these nutrient levels be so good and these people be so sick? And then once again, I ran into the new tech, uh, the technology has been around for about 30 years as far as looking intracellularly, as far as the lymphocyte. And then we saw a totally different picture. Yeah, so when clients come to me and they say, well, my labs look normal, my doctor says everything's, you know, in the normal range. And I say, well, but they're not looking intracellularly and it might, we might have a different story when we look at that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, oh, I should say there's more and more independent literature coming out on looking at that as far as intracellular and how it has an impact on us. Absolutely. What about iron and ferritin? Okay, so of course, you know, iron definitely is extremely important for it. it has been highly associated 
with, um, once again, hair loss, iron deficiency has. Uh, and of course, ferritin is like the storage form of iron. We look at that as kind of the reserve of iron. And a lot of times when people look at serum iron, once again, it's a snapshot. It's a short-term evaluation. Mm -hmm. Ferritin is a little bit longer evaluation of it. Uh, but once again, iron is highly associated with thyroid. So when people have an iron deficiency, they might not quite be anemic yet, but mm -hmm. they're, you know, it's a there from a hemoglobin status looks good but once again when you do further testing we see the ion or we see the ferritin changes but they have to also realize that the first two steps of thyroid hormone production require iron so when iron goes down now you start to affect your thyroid and i think most clinicians health coaches dietitians whoever healthcare professionals would agree that thyroid dysfunction often is associated with hair loss. But people That's don't correlate, yeah, people don't correlate that mm -hmm. nutrient with that. And once again, that's very, very important to do that. And that's why people say, well, but my hemoglobin's normal, my red blood cell counts normal. Yes, those are very, very general tests. Those are preliminary looks. We need to dig deeper, you know, it's and that's the thing that most people don't do. And so once again, a lot of people go uh, to their doctors and get this blood work done. And like you said, they come to you and they say, yeah, but all my blood work. Yeah, that's because it's just general blood work. It doesn't go down deep into the cell, into the mechanisms. Right. I, can tell, I can't tell you how many women I work with that are on thyroid medication or while working with me, and I've referred them to a functional medicine MD, discover that they're hypothyroid. And the ones who have come with me, who have come to me and they know that they're hypothyroid and they're already on medications, they're not taking any supplements to support the thyroid disease, right? The, the iron, the selenium, the zinc, the magnesium, like the, some of these core supplements that we need to support thyroid function. Oh, absolutely. And that's what, you know, I try to educate all the clinicians about that when I'm doing uh, seminars or webinars and podcasts like this, or even my patients, I want them to know that there's a reason why things are happening. You know, the, we yeah. always talk about the root part of or the root cause of health. Well, okay. this is the root cause, you know, it's like I used to tell my uh, doctors and students at chiropractic school when I taught there for 21 years, I used to say, look, we're made up of six things. We're made up of protein, fat, carbohydrates, water, vitamins, and minerals. That's it. You can't name anything in the body that isn't made up of a combination of those six things. So why don't we go back and look at those six things when we start to have some abnormalities? And a lot of people don't because they're not trained that way. Yeah, let's talk about selenium. You mentioned it a couple times already. Is eating two Brazil nuts a day enough to get the, all the selenium that we might need? Because that's what we're told. That is what the general public knows about right. selenium. Take, eat two Brazil nuts a day and you're good to go. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly when I read this. This is a few years ago. But they looked at different contents of nutrients in foods. They looked at lettuces, they looked at selenium, I mean, they looked at Brazil nuts, they looked at various other fruits and vegetables. And depending on where this product is harvested, has a high degree mm -hmm. of what's in it. So yeah. for example, Brazil has come from California versus Texas versus Illinois versus New York, California, wherever. They're going to be different. It's gonna be different. And so we can't just assume that a person that consumes two or three Brazil nuts is going to be enough. And that's why, you know, just like you, Jill, and myself, we test people. 
How do we know if we're not testing? And I tell clinicians and I tell patients this all the time, I don't want to guess on your health. I don't want anybody guessing on my health. So I want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to find the cause of your situation. And that's what we do with objective testing, rather subjective. I mean, I had a patient come in the other day that had two large bags of supplements. And I said, okay, who gave you these supplements? And they told me it was a functional person, functional doctor. And I said, how did they determine what you need? They said, oh, they did a questionnaire. I said, look, I have a very detailed questionnaire that people come to see me. I said, that just more or less stimulates their background and their thought process. Oh, yeah, did I have this or have I had this, whatever. Yeah. I said, it's the blood work, it's genetics like you do and I do that really gets down to the cellular level and tells us what's going on. So, so, how, I, so how does selenium play a role in hair growth? So several ways, once again, it's an antioxidant. And we know that when people have free radical production, that mm -hmm. we can have ex excess loss. It also helps with inflammation. So it's an anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. It helps maintain glutathione levels. And glutathione, of course, um, as you know, is the master antioxidant. It helps maintain thyroid. So once again, it's one of the major nutrients as far as that as well. And there's some you know, other proteins that are associated with it that we feel that maintain the integrity of the tissue with that. So, I mean, there's so many things that selenium could do, but once again, a lot of people don't um, associate much with selenium. I mean, if you, like I said, if you went and ask most dermatologists, the nutrient to get these biotin, they wouldn't ever Yeah, for sure. And that's yeah. Yeah. What about zinc? That's a big one. And you've touched on that a couple of times. Yeah. Zinc is huge. In fact, if you go into the literature and you look at just skin slash hair, zinc deficiency is how it's associated with. It's associated with psoriasis. It's associated with acne. It's associated with eczema. Uh, so we, we know zinc is very important for the skin integrity. Of course, we cannot make a lot of our proteins in our body without zinc. For example, collagen that everybody's mm -hmm. talking about today you know i'm taking collagen for my skin and this or an elastin which is another very important uh, protein that helps maintain our vasculature and the flexibility of our skin i mean the softness of our skin and all that those can't be made without zinc so people have to realize that if you're going to affect the skin you can affect the protein like the protein in your nails and your hair and things like that you have to have zinc and once again, there's over 200 functions in the body with zinc. It's a highly demanded thing. If people are going more towards a plant-based type mm -hmm. of diet, they have a very, very high tendency for zinc deficiency. Even though they say, well, I eat nuts and seeds, Dr. Grouski. And I'm like, yeah, but nuts and seeds have certain components in them and vegetables have certain components in them called oxalates and phytates. And oxalates and phytates bind with your minerals, your, like your zinc and your iron and so on. So even though that food, and this goes back to kind of what you're saying about selenium as far as can you consume two Brazilians? Well, people see that in the literature. Oh, that food right. composition says that two Brazilians have this selenium, but how much of that selenium do we pull out of those Brazilians? Mm -hmm. Same thing with how much zinc do we pull out of the fruits and vegetables and grains? Well, once again, we don't know that because everybody has a different digestive system. Like you said, the mm -hmm. digestive system is so important. So do they have enough you know, acid in their stomach? Do they have enough enzymes to break down their food and pull that zinc out of there? And a lot of people don't. And if they're plant-based, you it takes about six times the amount of volume of zinc from grains and vegetables as it does from animal protein. 
So for yeah. example, if you are consuming you know, 60 uh, milligrams of zinc per se from animal protein, you'll get about 60% of that 60. If right. you're consuming 60 milligrams from plant protein or from vegetables and grains and things like that, you only get 10%. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more fun. And then people say, well, I don't want to eat all those calories because I'm going to gain weight. Exactly. Well, if you don't eat that volume, then you're not going to get the percentage or the bioavailability out of it. And it's not there. How do you know that? Once again, like you do and I do, we test. Right. Talking about eating all of that food. I mean, my goodness, it just sounds like a horrible bloating situation, right? And we're both dealing with people that have IBD, IBS, you know, SIBO, um, autoimmune disorders. If they can't eat certain foods, they have to get them from supplementation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of those conditions facilitate a higher requirement because yeah. they have an inflammatory condition. They're turning over their cells mm -hmm. faster. Um, like I said, you can very easily type in, like you said, zinc and hair loss or skin conditions. And they're numerous. I mean, one of the yeah. things we see with Crohn's disease, Crohn's disease is people start to get skin conditions when they have their or people have ulcerative colitis. People start to get skin conditions and hair loss and things like that. Well, one of the major reasons because they're losing zinc or they're requiring zinc at a higher amount and they're not fulfilling it with their diet. So once somebody has the micronutrient test on and they commit to this new personalized supplement protocol, how long does it take for all of this to start working? Well, when we're talking about skin or hair conditions mm -hmm. like we are today, I tell people don't even expect any major you know, things that occur for about nine months. It takes yeah. a long time, long time to get these cells to change. In fact, we have layers of cells in the skin there and things like that. So once again, it takes quite a while. Uh, if you're looking at like maybe improving some of fatigue or sleep or something like that, it's still going to take about three or four months before they might notice that. As you know, the cell that we look at for the micronutrient test, it's a lymphocyte and it recycles about every six to nine months. So we're looking at, at least six to nine months of fulfilling our biochemical needs in order to get some change. Yeah. So you have to really come into this journey with a lot of patients being open-minded, you know, not worry that things aren't working in three weeks. It's, it's a process and growing hair takes a really long time, no matter what. So that's why we started out this podcast saying it's not, it's not just one thing. It's not just the micronutrient deficiencies. You know, that is the foundation of being able to produce enough energy in your body to grow healthy hair, to send the message to your hair follicle to grow but then there's all these other layered protocols people can follow, things like red light therapy or getting injections um, on their scalp. Or um, I just did a whole process called TED, trans epidermals from Israel, mm -hmm. and it uses ultrasonic waves. It was really amazing um, and produced a lot of hair growth for me. But none of these are going to work well if you don't have the energy being produced the healthy gut microbiome and the compliancy of taking these supplements that your body needs and not the supplements that you read on some Facebook um, group where some random person said, oh, I took this and it worked for me. And then you go take it. You, that I can't even tell you. I'm sure you hear it all the time. That is so dangerous. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, it's uh, the nutrient-nutrient interactions, the drug-nutrient interactions. But what happens a lot of times is you know, we hear these buzzwords and, and even after this podcast, you're going to say, okay, selenium and zinc and iron and biotin and so on. 
So this is what I call window dressing. A lot of companies out there will take this information and put a small amount of biotin, a small amount of zinc, a small amount of vitamin D and so on. And they go, oh yeah, I read that. And they might call it, you know, new growth hair or something like that, whatever. And, but they don't have the dosages in there that fulfill right. those requirements. So people go and spend hundreds of dollars on these yeah. products thinking, oh, I'm going to do this because it has this, this, this. Yeah, but it's like I tell people, I can give you premium gas, but if you need a full tank to go from, I live in Houston, Houston to Dallas, and I give you premium gas, but I only give you one gallon of gas, you're not going to get from Houston to Dallas. So that's kind of what they're doing is they're giving you these small amounts. They're charging you a large amount of money for these things and they're calling some new hair growth and things like that. And it, yes, it has the essential things in there, but it doesn't have near the quality and or the dosage. And that's what, you know, and people do get misled in that aspect. I agree hundred percent. So one of the other, um, two other sections on the micronutrients test that we use is on amino acids and fatty acids. And although those are not micronutrients, they're certainly related, right? We know there's a connection, but where do you see um, the biggest deficiencies in amino acids or fatty acids in terms of hair loss? Oh, the omega-3s and omega-9s are very commonly deficient. I mean, we see this all the time. You know, I don't think based on my patients and talking to you know, professionals like you around the country is people don't consume a lot of fish today. A lot yeah. of uh, items that of course are make that free. And then the good fats like your olive oil and your avocados and your walnuts and almonds for your omega nines. People don't do that because they go, oh, they're high in fat. I don't want that. There's extra calories. So that those two for sure. We get plenty of omega-6 in our diet, which are very inflammatory, which can cause a negative effect on us. And of course, omega-3s and omega-9s are more anti-inflammatory. As far as amino acids, I mean, we look at the lysine, we see that quite a bit. Glutamine is very, very important, especially for the GI tract that we see quite often low. Methionine, which of course is often a SNP that we see, as you know, in the comp gene that we look at. Uh, Asparagine. It's not an essential amino acid, it's actually non-essential that we see that amino acid a lot in inflammatory conditions and allergies and autoimmune conditions. So those are some of the more amino acids that we look at. But as we get older, one of the amino acids that's really being looked at a lot today, especially in people that are getting 60, 65 years of age and older, of course, that age group is increasing as we know, as we sit here, is leucine. Leucine is a branched-chain amino acid that is very commonly deficient. We cannot make it in the body. We have to consume it. It's high in, once again, animal proteins. And once again, those are another reason why we have to have a certain type of, you know, a certain amount of protein and fat and carbohydrates in our diet to maintain those. Yeah, very important. I talk about leucine all the time, especially with my menopausal women, because we're losing lean muscle mass every year. I think it's like one or three percent somewhere in there um, per year since we were in our 30s. So by the time you're my age at 55, you know, you've already lost quite a bit of lean muscle mass and it takes a lot more energy to work out and maintain or or build if you're just starting. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Leucine is super important. Um, what about the timing of supplementation? This is something I, I don't just give my people their supplement protocol and say, here you go, have fun with it. I mean, you and I take time and we look at 
Are they on pharmaceuticals? Are they on a statin? Are they on a PPI? Are they on an SSRI or a thyroid medication? And how do we plan out their supplement timing? Also, like, for example, vitamin C, you know, you've taught me that you cannot take vitamin C around the same time that you're eating animal protein. So some of these need to be on an empty stomach. Some need to be in a, during a, you know, taken during a meal with fat. So this is all very overwhelming for people. Well, one of the things right away that I tell my patients in my office, we have a thing called a two-hour rule. And that two-hour rule is never take medications. I don't care if it's over-the-counter medication like Tylenol or prescription medication within two hours of your supplements because they can interfere, um, especially your thyroid medication. I tell people even extend that further, three, four hours. Uh, if you look at your thyroid pamphlet when you fill your thyroid medication at the pharmacy you'll see it say like don't take it with dairy products and don't take it with certain foods and so on don't take it with antacids the reason why is the divalent cations which are calcium magnesium zinc those particular minerals actually bind with thyroid medication and I have a lot of people that come in and we say, God, my doctor keeps raising my thyroid medication. I say, and this is, of course, the first visit. I go, well, how are you taking your thyroid medication? Well, I take my thyroid medication more with all my supplements. I just throw them in my mouth. And I go, no, you can't do that because you're interfering with that medication. And as soon as we start to spread the medication and the supplements away, it's funny how their thyroid medication now is working. And once again, their dosage starts to be decreased. So yeah, that's very important. You also have to remember that Carbs, proteins, and fats are very important for the transport of some of our nutrients as well. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we need some fat in our, in our GI tract when we consume vitamin E, vitamin K, and D, the fat-soluble nutrients. That's what they're saying, fat-soluble. Now, it's getting to be a little different these days because people are getting into liposomal forms, which are engulfed into this micelle more or less, and it's transport, transported differently uh, and more efficiently. But Besides those, if you just take regular supplements, that, you know, your car, even like your, some of your B vitamins, they're very dependent upon carbohydrates, dependent upon sodium and potassium and the way they transport across the GI tract. So, yeah, it's important that we take it with that. Yeah. So we are coming to an end, and it's been an amazing conversation. But what are three things that you can offer the listeners to start today? to start on their hair loss journey from a micronutrient status perspective? Well, the first thing is get tested. You know, find out mm -hmm. exactly what nutrients you're missing. Two, you know, make sure you do them consistently. Have somebody monitoring you on a regular basis. Don't try to do this on your own. Uh, have a healthcare professional really looking at you and knowing that's educated in this area. And once again, you have to realize most of your medical doctors have no nutritional education, so yeah. they don't know about this. And the other thing is, of course, always try to decrease your inflammatory processes in, in the body. And that could be through several means, you know, your good eating habits is the major thing. Stay away from, you know, your refined products. Stay away from your sugars and refined carbohydrates and other things like that that are really inflammatory. And that's the big thing. But the big thing is do it scientifically. Don't just try to guess and say, I'm going to do this under this care of somebody that's really educated. I love that. Those are all great takeaways. Dr. Grabowski, always a pleasure having you on. Um, I'll have to think of like seven or 10 more topics to get you on here because you have such a great delivery system. And, you know, this is all really confusing and it costs money and it's, 
you know, emotional for people. Um, so it's, it's, and it's not talked about in their doctor's office. So it's been um, a pleasure having you on here and sort of just bring it down to layman terms for all of us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Jill, and I look forward to the future talks and podcasts. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Y'all have a good day. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.